Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards and are, well, Broadway's backbone. Welcome to episode 11. Our special guest is Michael McGurk. Hi, Michael McGurk. Welcome to Broadway's Backbone. How are you today? I'm well, Brad Bradley. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're having here also because it's fun because you're actually one of my friends. Yes. Uh, but so your, your biggest credits, and then we'll go back, uh, are the Music Man Revival with Susan Stroman. Yes. Then you did Wedding Singer on Broadway, yes. Dr. Doolittle Tour. Uh, where are you from and how did you get started? Well, I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a big theater town, uh, which is surprising considering how many sports are there as well. Um, grew up taking classes at that Pittsburgh Civic Light Opera Academy. A musical theater. They had a great training program for kids, um, as well as performing in the CLO main stage shows. So it was a great opportunity growing up there in Pittsburgh. And then um, I decided to pursue a career in musical theater, and I went to the Boston Conservatory with a musical theater major, and then I minored in dance. So great program. And uh, what was your initial inspiration? I mean, uh, were you teased as a kid for running around dancing all the time? Um, well, I was always creative and I was always active. And I, I loved, um, I remember I played soccer for a long time and then I tried gymnastics and then dancing just seemed a natural fit. Um, as well as I was just very creative and they didn't really know what to do with me. I was always different from everyone in school in terms of I was always shorter, I was blonder, um, I looked younger. And I didn't really fit in with the normal activities, so um, the theater was just a great outlet for me growing up. Um, I took to it pretty quickly, and it progressed pretty quickly with, you know, before you know it, you're in a pre-professional kids ensemble, and then you're performing with the CLO Mini Stars, and, you know, and uh, then you're doing equity theater, and it's just, um, it really did progress pretty quickly, but I always did it for fun. Um, my parents have always been really, really supportive without ever being stage parents. I don't think any of us thought this would ever turn into a career. I just did it for fun and then um, I guess about junior year in high school when it comes time to make this a decision where you're going to college, I said well yeah I'm going to go for musical theater. I thought I'd go to law school and then when the time came it was like no I'm not going to do that. Um, my parents were always like well let's see what happens. You know go apply to school see what happens and then I got in them. They were like oh okay I guess this is a sign you should do this. So um. Um, I picked the Boston Conservatory because it was what I call a triple threat program. At the time, they had a lot of um, they had a lot more dance training than other conservatories uh, for musical theater, and so I really looked at the curriculum and said, "This is what's for me." I wanted uh, equal training in acting, singing, and dancing, so I was happy with that decision. Um, That's great. So, what led to your equity card? You said you worked with theater. Well, I did. Um, my, I actually. When I was in college, um, I had done the CLO shows growing up. I guess we qualified for equity. I didn't officially become equity until um, when I was in college. I worked at West Virginia Public Theater in the summers. Um, did three years of non-union summer stock there. And the fourth year, I played Hugo Peabody in Bye Bye Birdie, and they gave me my equity card. So um, I, that would be a big piece of advice. If you can do summer stock in the summers while you're in college, it's a great way to take what you learn during the year and apply it in a professional setting, as well as working and getting your card, um, if that's if you want to turn equity before you get to New York. I know it's different now than it was certainly when I was when I was that age. But um, Yeah, there wasn't point system or EMC. I remember they, they went back and forth a lot. There were I forget what it was at the time, and then they did away with a certain system. And for me, it was more just being offered a contract 
men, okay, it's time to turn equity. And mm-hmm. I knew what my goals were. I wanted to get on Broadway. So to me, the whole idea of waiting to do that, you know, building up non-union credits just didn't exist to me at the time. I said, no, I want to get to Broadway and getting my equity card was just a big stepping stone to getting there. Um, but like I said, I know the market's a different place now and there might be more sense in staying on equity for a little while. Um, but for me, I just saw it as a stepping stone to getting what I really wanted, which was to be on Broadway. <laughs> so after Boca, did they call it Boco? No, we didn't call it Boco at the time. It was it was <laughs> TBC, if anything, you know, the Boston Conservatory. So people say Boco now and they refer to, you know, all the American Idol people that have come out of there. I'm just, it's a different, it's been a long time since I graduated school. So, <laughs> <laughs> so did yeah. you move straight to New York City from there? Or? I did, yes. Um, I luckily had, uh, right after I graduated, I did very well at my college showcase, which made a big, big difference to me. Mm. I got an agent out of that, and um, I got hired pretty quickly at Goodspeed Opera House afterwards. Um, so I remember that first year I was subletting. Um, in New York with a friend for like five weeks and then I got all this work out of town. Um, I think I worked my first year out of college I went to Goodspeed and then I went to the Denver Center and then I went to Sacramento Music Circus. Um, well at Music Circus I met a friend there who had a room open on the first floor of his apartment. He had a two-bedroom and I stayed there and while there I booked my first Broadway show with Music Man and um, he called me I was out of town back at Goodspeed and he said hey I know you need an apartment something opened up on the third floor of the building do you want to take it? you have to take it now, you know, and I said, yeah, I said, I'll take your opinion, he said, well, it's newly renovated, it's just really small, and I took it, and I had been there for 12 years then, so that's how that happened. Wow. Um, that was my studio in Hell's Kitchen for 12 years, so I had a very easy path in that sense coming to New York, which was important for me at the time, because I grew up rather sheltered in Pittsburgh, and while I was always in theater, um, you know, we grew up in the suburbs, I wasn't really a city smart kid or anything like that and um so i'm very grateful that it happened for me easily and then the harder times came a little bit later because i needed that i think to happen that way i think if it would have been really hard for me at first i'm not sure how i would have turned out because um i don't know every it happens differently for everyone i guess is how is the best way to say it for me i'm glad it happened the way it did and then i struggled later and um you know well absolutely well with music man that was, I mean, your Broadway debut, it was a huge dance show. It was Susan Stroman when she was the uh, hot, hot. Um, you were understudying Tommy Gillis. Well, So how was it when you got the call to be like, you're going to be on Broadway? I, I just, I, it was the biggest dream come true in the world. It was, I went to the open call for that and I knew I was going to get it. it be, and it was a kid's call. You basically had to have, you had to have a parent um, accompany you there or a license saying you're above 18 or something because that's, that's, they wanted kids for that, and I looked really young. I looked about 15 when I was 22. So, um, but I, I just, I was so relaxed that day because I knew I had, I knew I was a little smarter because I was 22 than these 15-year-olds and a little wiser, and they all had their parents there. And then as the day went on, I was in front of Susan Stroman and um, dancing for her, and I just knew it was going to happen. And after several callbacks, I got the, the call from my agent that I, he's like, I want to congratulate you on your Broadway debut, and I said, you're kidding. And then um, I called my parents, and ironically, they were on their way to have um, to, to go to a reception with the president at the time. It was Bill Clinton. They were. The, it was a very big day with them for our family. Oh, that's um, wonderful. So they actually, my mom and dad actually told Bill Clinton I I booked my Broadway debut. So that's it was, a great yeah, story. They were on their way. It was so so cool the way that day came about, and one my family will never forget. So uh, the stars lined up for us that day. 
Well, what's um, fascinating about you is to, uh, I mean, is that you still get cast for uh, your youth, youthful oh, yeah. look and everything it's, like that. You just did Bye Bye Birdie this summer at Sacramento's Music Circus, which I didn't realize you started that yeah. long ago. Well, it's funny. I did Bye Bye Birdie there in 99, and I played Hugo. This time, I got hired to do three shows this summer, one of which was Birdie, and I played a teenager. And how long and has it, it been since Music Man? Oh, well, Music Man was in 2000, so, I mean, it's So been, you're much older. You're oh, not. I'm not. I mean, I'm much older now, and granted, you know, we've all learned over time, don't cast yourself out of things, because you never know when, you know, I say I'm done doing West Side Story, but hey, I could get called to do it any day, or Cats, for that matter, and you do it, you know? Um, it's a little harder on your body, but it's, it's, yeah, you know, the, the Glenn, the producer at Music Circus, always jokes with me. We did um, a production of Hello, Dolly, and I played Barnaby for him years ago, and uh, he always says, yeah, you got one more Barnaby in you. I'm like, you're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? If he offered me it, I would do it. Holy cabooses. <laughs> well, you just did, uh, you Two, two or three years ago, you played Tommy Gillis at Music Circus, yeah. the role you understudied on Broadway. I did, yeah. So, and um, Shirley Jones was the uh, uh, the Mrs. Uh, Peru, and um, it was a really special thing. And um, yeah, it was the same thing. You can't believe you're playing that part again, but it's a blast. And um, I, I, I couldn't believe how much time had gone by since I did the show last. Um, but Music Man was a really, really special show. For me, and I was very grateful to make my Broadway debut in a show like that. It was run so professionally, and Susan Stroman just has such high standards, and you just want to step up to them for her so much. Um, it's just, um, we worked our butt off, and it was really the biggest inspiration to me, and I just, I don't know, it was a true dream come true. Oh, absolutely. No, I saw it, and uh, I loved it, especially when, at the end when everyone's playing the instruments, and the dancing was fantastic. So, um, Dr. Doolittle, I've heard a lot about it, and then, but it's all convoluted. How is your experience also doing something that you're touring and it's supposed to come in and then it never does? Well, that that was interesting because it was um, it was it's always so exciting doing a new project with you know a big creative team because you have such high hopes for it, and with them attached, it seems like there's such security. But it takes so much to make a new musical work, you know, and it. The show itself was a great idea, lots of great moments in it, but it just didn't, it was so, they wanted such grand, they had such grand expectations for it, and they tried such grand things with it, and it just fell flat. You know, a lot of it to me always comes down to the book, and um, I think they had trouble cutting the material down, you know, um, I don't think they wanted to cut all the songs out of it, you know, that needed to be cut. Um, the music, the musical just needed work, you know, and it's, um, and then it was interesting, because they wanted this to be a national tour that would come into Broadway, which is kind of unusual. I mean, you know, you hear of an out-of-town trial before Broadway, but to do a national tour before Broadway, it was an odd concept. We teched somewhat cheaply in Owensboro, Kentucky, which tells you how that was kind of run. The whole tour was a little, it was cheap, so to speak. If you want a show to go to Broadway, you really can't cut those kind of corners on a big musical. We didn't have enough time to tech. Nothing ever, technically it never ever works, really. I don't think we had one clean show. Mm. And, you know, unfortunately you have that opening date and it opens and the creative team leaves town and then all of a sudden it's just, you're just kind of hanging there, literally by zip ties that the set was tied together with. So it was just, we, yeah, uh, it was, that was an interesting one. Luckily the cast um, really bonded and we had a blast on the road. We went to 
a friend of mine always says, I enjoy touring through nine of the worst cities in America with you. Because <laughs> we opened in Owensboro, Kentucky. We closed in Hershey, Pennsylvania. You know, it was nine weeks out of a, it's supposed to be, you know, a 52-week tour or whatever. But um, uh, we had fun. And those are the shows you really learn from. You know, as disappointing as they are, and people sublet their apartments for, you know, an entire year. And then we got literally a four-day notice. I don't know how that was possible. Um, we were in Hershey, and on, I think it was on Tuesday or Wednesday, the producer came in to have a meeting with us and said, the tour will close this Sunday. And, and we're like, what? Um, and I was lucky. I had a show lined up. I already knew I was going to go do Wedding Singer on Broadway um, and was going to get my notice in two weeks anyway. And they knew that. But um, but a lot of people were counting on that tour you know, being open. And they had it in the back of their hands that Tommy Toon was going to come in and not only star in it, but direct it as well. Mm. So basically, they fired the entire company. You know, that's what they do. They close the show. And then two weeks later, he took over, you know, and of course they had, you know, new auditions, new rehearsals, all that stuff. But, um, and their production, I don't think worked out well either. So right. it's always a shame when you have shows like that, that really do seem like a great concept for a musical and they just don't happen. And it just, to me, you know, I'm, I'm not a writer of musicals. It's really difficult, but somehow it just seems like it, the book comes up shorter. There's just not enough time to make it work. So, um. But it happens. Yeah. Well, so then we come to your next... I mean, that's nice to find out, oh, you have another yeah. Broadway show lined up. Yeah. you had such a great time with Music Man. But we've talked about Wedding Singer, and your Wedding Singer experience uh, wasn't that great. You even referred to it as uh, Mean Girls or oh. Bad High School. It's so... F well, this, well, like I said earlier, I'm really grateful that I made my Broadway debut in the Music Man, where it was a great show. It was a hit show. It was for Susan Stroman, and it was just really nice people. And it's not that, you know, in any cast, sure, in any long-running show, you're going to have run-ins with people. It's like anything, you know, but it's how it's dealt with. And it, if it comes from the top, you know, you're in the workplace, and it's just, it's just the way things should happen um, when things go well and don't go well. Wedding Singer was interesting because that show, too, like Dr. Doolittle, had a lot of hope behind it. A lot of people, and there was a lot of great, you know, quality material and performances and just a lot of grand expectations and we realized when we were out of town in Seattle that it wasn't working you know and so they made major changes before we came to Broadway they made the show a harder dance show a tougher show in general um, and a lot of it worked in terms of becoming an audience favorite it wasn't necessarily a critical favorite and um, it ran for a year you know a little less than a year but it wasn't the expectations that everyone had um, Really, once the creative team kind of washed their hands of the show after we opened, they left town or whatever, and we were just left there. You know, and I was a dance captain in the swing of it. It was my first time being a dance captain on that level, you know, of a Broadway show. And the thing with dance captaining and being a swing is, I really think it takes both both the brains and the personality to do the job. You have to have both. Um, some of it's learned, and some of it is inherent. Um, no matter how good you are at the job or how natural, you still have to learn to do it through trial and error. Um, and that I learned how to do it there, and I did learn how to do it um, through a lot of, you know, ups and downs. Um, it was a hard show for me to swing because what started out is there wasn't a lot of partnering in, in the show. Once we came to New York, it all changed. There was a lot of partnering. I'm very short for a guy, and the girls were a lot bigger than me. Um, 
heavier than me. <laughs> and you know what? I lifted their asses. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, and it, but it wasn't easy, you know. But we learned how to do it, and that's and we made it work. And um, six months into the run, I had the job down where I knew what this was about. Unfortunately, the people just were not to me um, the best people off stage. Um, and that happens, you know, and usually in a cast, let's say maybe there's one or two bad apples in every cast that if given, if given um, the leeway will run wild with their personalities, but usually it comes from the top that they're not allowed to do that. We didn't really have a chain of command here that was effective. And as a result, we, you know what, we also had maybe three to six really strong personalities and then the rest of the company, a lot of them were not necessarily just there were followers, let's say. So there wasn't a lot of leadership there or authority, and a lot of it came on to me to put up with. You know, if it were high school, you'd call it bullying, perhaps. Other than you're on Broadway and this is your dream come true, and you find yourself getting bullied by the football players and their cheerleader girlfriends. Right. You know, and it sucked. <laughs> well, no, I've, been, <laughs> I've, I've witnessed people uh, bullying, yeah. bullying swings mm -hmm. and refusing to take notes from dance right. captains. and. Um, so to hear about that, yeah. uh, usually I've seen it and it's few and far between, but mm -hmm. uh, I know the other dance captain of your show, of, of Wedding Singer, and it happened to her too. Yeah, so it's not a like, seasoned veteran of Broadway and so dance this was, captaining. So this wasn't like one person being... No, a, and I, I just, you know, the thing is, I, I don't know why. I mean, I was an easy target for it being a swing and a dance captain, and I was, what I also say is, I was very young at the time and naive and just very, very excited to do the job. And sometimes that makes you a really easy target when people are unhappy at work or just unhappy people in general. And, yeah. you know, you do live and learn from everything. That It wrecked me at the time. It really did wreck me. And I'll never let a show affect me personally like that again. Because you really, you go into these shows with the best of intentions. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But at the end of the day, it is a job. You know, it's a dream come true. But it's also a job. And some jobs are better than others. You know, I, what I know now, nearly 10 years later, is I'll never let a job affect me like that again. Um, I can't say if I were to go through something like that again or deal with personalities like that, I'd be happy and wouldn't feel anxiety. But I can certainly spot them a mile away now. Right. And I know how to deal with it. And I know how to deal with it quickly. I think that's the thing, is learning how to deal with that. Um, and a lot of it does come with the territory of being a swing and a dance captain, is you are always going to have to deal with personalities. Yeah. You know, people don't like being given notes. It's hard. They don't realize dance captaining is not necessarily a power position. It's a job. Yeah. You know, it's it's a job, and you know. And you're and their jobs there to make the show look uh, better. Yeah, and they have to answer to the choreographer, and they're doing a lot. And you know, yeah, some of them are some dance captains are easier to take than others. It's very much a people. Oh, job. absolutely. You have to. You can't just be good at picking up choreography and teaching it. You should have people skills to know how to yeah. give a note and know how not to violate an actor dancer. And giving the note, yes. you know, it's not about that. It shouldn't be about that. So, um, um, and that's just stuff. That's really just stuff you have to learn over the years. I couldn't go back and know that at the time. Um, I was just very sheltered growing up, where theater was such a safe place and such a welcoming place. That when it's not, it really can do a number on you. Um, most of the time, it is a safe place and a wonderful place. But you know, when it's not. You have to just realize that this is a job and this is a business, and, and sometimes it's not going to work out. And sometimes you just can't be mistreated at work. No. Well, see, that's the thing too. Is you not only you know you're not always going to be liked, and that's okay, um, but you don't have to be mistreated. And that's there was a at that job in particular, lines were crossed 
between, um, you know, not being liked and being mistreated and really not knowing what to do about it for a long time. I, I just believe if you work hard, you know, everything will work out. But um, sometimes you got to put your foot down, and I had to learn how to do that there. Um, but, you know, you should always put your best foot forward professionally because you never know. I'm still in the business, and, yeah, you, you, I forgive anyone. But you don't forget bad behavior. No, you really don't. really don't. And, you know... <laughs> um, we've had several analogies on this show of, like, I always say that the ensemble is Broadway's backbone. But that means the swings are the actual spinal cord that goes through the backbone because oh, yeah. they hold it's, it together. Yeah. Um, but speaking of uh, backbone injury, I've heard several people talk about how difficult Rob Ashford's choreography is. So did you have neck injuries and all kinds of injuries during that show? I didn't have any injuries in that sense. It was hard. It's, it's very challenging athletic choreography and rewarding as well when you do it. What was hard was... Um, you just make it work, you know? You're lifting a girl that's bigger than you over your head with a dress covering your face. You can't see, you can't breathe, and you know what? You do it, and you figure it out and make it work. And there is a great deal of pride that comes from that when you make it work. Um, I was definitely sore after doing that. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, it's I'm not one for necessarily complaining about injuries like that because I do believe you just work hard and make it work. Yeah. Um, so, but speaking of injuries, you oh, yourself, I personally, had, you had a bad injury. I had a major one. Yeah, I had a bad one. It, and it was a complete accident. Um, during summer stock a few years ago, I was rehearsing for a production of Crazy For You. And um, we were doing it in a round, so we didn't have the set. And so we were basically improvising new stunts to do, as they would normally be done on a set. Uh, we were doing it without it. And um, I basically had to step on a cafe chair and jump over it. Um, and the cafe chair wasn't braced in any way was rather flimsy and when I went to step on it um, it flew out right from underneath me and I lost myself in the air I got this huge jump and came down three breaks and a dislocated elbow um, so that was a major thing but what's funny is um, it was a complete accident I wish I could have rewind you know rewound 20 seconds of my life and said why did that just happen take it back 20 seconds and it wouldn't happen but what's funny is it wasn't a dance injury this was just this is just an injury a fluke you know and um uh, I did exactly as I was directed. I don't regret that. I go full out. That's my style of doing things. Um, as an actor, you always should say yes until you should say no. And then, you know, that was a case where um, we but were a dancer all, doesn't say no. A dancer doesn't say no. You don't say no. You're looked <laughs> down upon, and you feel it if you say no. Because, you know what, 99% of the time, you do make it work. Like we were saying, like the, you know, like the difficult lift we did uh, for Rob Ashford, you make it work, and yeah. you do make it work, you, you know, and that's your job. And you make it work efficiently and safely, and you pull it off. Um, something like this, um, this was a, the stunt with the chair was an interesting thing, because I should have, it was an anxious environment that day, I remember. We were all tired and anxious and had been working really hard, and it was a perfect day for that to happen, you know, looking back. But having said that, it was a total injury. I mean, a total accident. Um, and, um, you know, and I healed, and I got plates in my arm, and where I... What I learned was eight months later, I found myself on roller skates doing a production of Starlight Express, and um, which was dangerous. You know, dancers on roller skates is not safe right away. You learn how to do it. There's a technique to roller skating like anything else, and you get really good at it, and it's really fun, but you have to learn how to do it. And because we were doing it regionally, we were a little rushed for time, and we had to learn how to skate. And I had to say no the first few days when they were asking us to do stunts when I had no idea how to even stand up on skates. And I did say no. You know, I said, I'm yeah. going to get this. 
but it's not going to happen today. I'm not going to go up and down this bowl thing. You know, it's, it's this thing called a bowl. It's like three feet. You go up it and down it. Um, but I got that bowl. I got that bowl. I did not get it as quickly as some of them, you know, but, and maybe it was, it was a slight mental block with my arm, but guess what? I got it and I did it on my own terms. And they love you by the end of it because you did get it. Yeah, but, you know, absolutely. And that's, sometimes I think, especially for dancers, that's only something you do learn in time is you are just trained to say yes and it, that usually is the best approach. But, you know, use your head too. No one is really looking out for your best interests like you are. And I think that's a big lesson. Like, you know, if I've talked about any adversity so far, it's, that would be my advice is no one's taking care of you like yourself. You have to know, you know, when you should say yes, when you should say no, when you've had enough. You know, you should know, I don't know, what you can put up with. And most of the times you should keep your mouth shut, I believe, and make things work. Yeah. That's my approach. I'm, I don't, because, you know, creative personalities especially, things happen, they blow over quickly, you know, but most of the time keeping my mouth shut and doing my job is my best approach. But yes, you should at times speak up for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Say, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we bumped into each other about a year ago at an audition, and then um, we re uh, reignited Which a friendship. Which you were great at and should have gotten the job. Oh, you're sweet. Uh, <laughs> But then we decided that we started taking uh, ballet class. I think a lot of people think, oh, once you're on Broadway, you stop training. And I mean, what is your uh, uh, experience with where, how much do you still train? Are you in ballet class a lot? I know it's nice to have a ballet buddy, but uh, what do you do? What's your... Well, it is funny because when people get on Broadway, I think they become afraid to take class. I think because when you get in a show and you do that eight times a week, you suddenly, you know, you go to the gym and you're living this great life in a way, you're on Broadway, but you forget that you still need to keep up your training. And I think they feel their skills are not necessarily going to be as good in class as they once were, so people shy mm. away from it. Or they feel they don't need it anymore. Um, I've always I've always tried to maintain my training because for me, that's where you get your confidence, and that keeps you going. I think that keeps you going. It keeps you injury-free, and, um, and you keep improving. I'm a better dancer now than I was when I got to the city. You know, I do believe that. I mean, of course you do age, but I continue to train, and... You know, I found a teacher, um, this Russian ballet teacher, she's just awesome, uh, Natalia Stavro, and I've been going to her for years, and she's seen me in every shape and form, and um, that's actually who I took you to, and it's really mm. fun when you can call a friend and go. It yeah. does help, especially, you know, as you've been in the city a few years, and you're like, oh gosh, I don't want to go dance with basically teenage girls. I mean, it brings you back to the high school or grade school even yeah. when you're the only boy in class, but um, if I invite friends to go, it's a great way to go. And, I do take class all the time. It's, it's sometimes in musical theater, it's hard to maintain everything you need to do. It's oh, like yeah. an Olympic athlete in a way. And I like mean, now learn to play the trombone. Oh, and learn to play the trombone, not to mention expensive voice lessons. And if you want to, you know, be an actor after you can't dance, and yeah, you need classes and you need to maintain it. You know, I took an acting class maybe six years ago. Well, that was six years ago. You know, um, I love voice lessons once a week, but if you're unemployed, it's really expensive. Absolutely. Dance classes are 17 bucks a class at Broadway Dance Center. It's way too much money. Yeah, and that's with a union way, discount. With a union discount. If I had a billion dollars, when I died, I'd give it to the dance centers in New York to make them $10 a class, and that's it. Absolutely. Because a dancer should be in class twice a day, no matter what their age, Yeah. in my opinion. But, um, but you really have to do that. There's a lot to maintain, and you should embrace it. Rather than getting intimidated by how much you have to do, just embrace it. Um, I'm one of those tap dancers that when I do it, I'm good at it. But I'm not that kind of tapper that I can just put my tap shoes on after a six-month break and 
be great. My ankles will be tight and I have no confidence with it. But if I'm in class doing it, it's there. And I started going back to tap about a year and a half, two years ago, um, and it made an enormous difference. And it's fun now. Yeah. You know, where I never really liked tapping early on in my career, I really like it now when I'm practicing it in class. And you've, you know, as well as just finding teachers that really inspire you. I think that's a big thing is a great source of comfort in the city is go to teachers you just crave, you know, and that take you seriously and, you know, want to help you, really. And I've seen, you know, my ballet teacher has seen me in every shape and yeah. form over the years. And, um, you know, but I'll be going back there next week. You Absolutely. Know, I, you know, I just came from doing a show, so I feel like I'm in okay shape. And that always is like, oh, I wanted to see me now. <laughs> well, you mentioned earlier that some of your struggles have been latter in your career. I know we've talked about that a lot, too, that now uh, we're getting a little older and we're currently not on Broadway and we feel less than. But what are you doing? Because uh, you have survival jobs, but also you do a lot of regional stuff as well. But what do you do to, like keep your motivation going to say I, I'm gonna do it again I'm gonna get back on Broadway or I'm gonna go to Sacramento again how is that process of, of struggling now when at 22 you landed it well it's it's uh, you really have to be willing to roll with it and it really is your attitude and it, that makes an enormous difference I've started to get new opportunities in the last year or two you know I, I got cast in a play a while back um, which I loved doing I got uh, I choreographed in LA this past winter, which was a new thing for me. I loved it. I got to be an associate choreographer of a show recently. I completely fell into my hands, all those things. None of them I really pursued, they just happened. And I feel like I'm at the age where things like that start to happen and you mm. have to be willing to just go with it and let go of the control of this is what has to happen. You know, when I came to the city, it was so much about, I wanna be on Broadway and I wanna be on, there now and then I got it and it happened and then it was I want another one to prove the first wasn't a fluke and I got it and it's like that seems to be my process whereas now I would love to get another Broadway show and you don't in some ways understand why it was easier then than now but I think it's also being willing to be open to what's around you that can also be other opportunities that can lead you in you know potentially different directions and um but at the same time pursuing still what you want to get um in terms of being motivated, um, you know, the work recently in the past couple years has been pretty good for me regionally. I've, I've been going pretty consistently and I've been able to pay my bills for the most part doing theater and I am very happy about that. I wish it wasn't a Broadway show, um, but, but I, I'm happy with the changes I've made in my life. You know, I, I moved to New Jersey, which has made my rent a lot more affordable and I'm able to buy the furniture I want. and. Um, the jobs I've just done recently are paying for that. So that's kind of what keeps me going is I'm able to keep myself happy personally as well. Um, so I guess that would be my advice just when you're getting a little bit older, you've just been in the business, is just don't close your eyes to what's around you. Learn to say yes. You know, sometimes that means doing things for free even. Mm. But you get the credit or, you know, in the opportunity and it's, you just start what I'm thinking of is just kind of planting the seeds yeah and seeing what grows around me as well you know I want to do it all right now I really do I'm at the age where I want to still dance on Broadway I want to be an actor I want to do TV and film I want to explore choreography can I do it all well yeah I'm going to do it all for right now but where the you know which one will really take off I don't know hopefully all of it at some point in my career but if if I wake up every day and view that as exciting it really is or it's scary thinking, you know, oh God, the same formula I've been following, you know, 
I'm dancing in shows next to 20 year olds and on the one hand that's great I'm doing yeah, it absolutely I'm doing it. <laughs> on the other hand they're 20 and I know my hips hurt more than theirs do yes, yes. <laughs> um, so it's exciting I, I it, it every few years or you know once every five to ten years maybe you should reassess if this is for you because it's such a struggle but if the answer is yes, that really is a big motivating factor to keep you here. You just have to really look at yourself and say, is this what I still want? Because it is tough. It's, it's, it's not easy, and I don't think it's easy for the majority of people, even those that appear successful. Right. You, know, you always have to really work hard and enjoy that work along the way. Enjoy going to the classes. You know, enjoy calling friends saying who are unemployed along with you and saying, let's go do this together. Oh, absolutely. Um, and you learn from that. You know, that really is how it happens. So. So a couple years ago, uh, Equity started having people sign uh, sexual harassment uh, waivers because uh, there was a lot of stuff. It was happening in other businesses, but then it happened in Equity, and everyone was like, how can that happen in musical theater? Um, and uh, they joke about it because there's always nudity backstage, but they also people think sexual uh, harassment happens mostly to women. I know you've had some, uh, I mean, just being a young, handsome man, you've had some sexual uh, harassment uh, issues in your, in your life. How is that? Well, it's, I mean, it's a really hard topic, obviously, for anyone. And it's, you know, it's, we're in a very unique business. You, you work with really attractive people. You get to know them in a very close, quick amount of time. You basically see each other naked the second or third day you're together. You're, you know, you're sharing dress rooms. And it's a wonderful, supportive environment. Um, it's a sexual environment. You know, it really is. You're in very, you know, you're not wearing many clothes in rehearsal, so to speak. You're sweating. And you're working with really attractive people. So it's not the, the normalist of environments in terms of business, but it is a business. And, um, and what happened maybe in the 70s and 80s, what our perception is of what was happening all the time or acceptable, by today's standards are not considered acceptable in business, including ours. Now, um, I, I don't think, it's surprising to me, I think our union equity is trying to change that now, but they don't have a clear sexual harassment policy you know, overall, that I have seen. Right. And I think they actually did a survey recently of uh, things members would want to see more of, and that was a big one that came up, surprisingly, is they wanted to see a clear sexual harassment policy. Um, it's hard being, if you're put in a position, if, if you're put in a compromising position by someone in authority, it's hard. And made to potentially feel, feel consequences. If that doesn't happen, that's not acceptable. Because it makes it hard for you to do your job, and um, it's it's a very fine line in saying whether that happens or not. But um, I think it's very easy for lines to get crossed there. I've definitely felt that energy over the years, um, both in jobs I've done and in just auditions, perhaps, or just in the industry in general. Towards me, yeah, absolutely. You know, and I've seen it happen to other people too, um, and it's not easy because you know, on the one hand. You're selling yourself at these auditions, you know, and uh, selling yourself. Um, sometimes the sexual energy can help. You know, your 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 products. You know, sex sells. <laughs> right. But um, and you want the job. My that doesn't mean you sleep your way to get what you want. Right. Maybe some people feel that way. That's not my approach to it. I don't think it really works anyway. Even no. if it gets you an instant result, I don't think it's the best approach. Um, the, the problem is if you're made to do that or you feel like that is the only option. Right. And then that doesn't happen. Um, it can get uncomfortable. Right. So I, so I mean, like, just like you didn't put out or whatever it is called, and you were got a cold shoulder. Yeah, and then, you get a cold shoulder. And that, if that is the worst result, 
um, you know, it sucks still. Oh, <laughs> because, absolutely. Because you definitely, you definitely feel like, and what it is really, part of it, I think, in our business, what's hard is you're working with really creative, sensitive people, you know, choreographers or dancers grown up. And so, yeah. I mean, and I know not all dancers are like that, but we're, we're sensitive people and if your feelings get hurt and um, someone, a, a, a guy, a friend of mine told me advice early on. Wait, this is a long time ago. I was getting hit on by someone. And I said, well, what do you do when someone hits on you and you're not interested? What do you do? You don't want to offend them. He said, well, that's where you get a boyfriend and you use that as an excuse to them to say, thank you. I really appreciate this. I'm flattered, but I'm in a relationship right now. And that way they really can't get offended. But people are human and they're going to get offended. And, you know, shame on them for being in a position of authority. And yeah. And now people way. are like, it doesn't matter if you have a boyfriend. I you know what I mean? And well, you're just like, or oh, it doesn't yeah. matter if you're well, married. It's so you. like, they lines are crossed, it shouldn't yeah. be crossed. A lot of this stuff we're talking about, for me, is stuff that happened years ago where, you know, the age I'm at now, it wouldn't happen because I would deal with it differently because I'm a lot older now and a lot wiser and I know how to deal with it now. Not that it still wouldn't be uncomfortable, but at the time, when you're dealing with the 25-year-old, let's say, you don't necessarily know how to deal with that. You just know you're young and you want to work and you want your dreams to come true and you know and so when someone's giving you any energy like you know of adoration or approval you're gonna flock to it absolutely especially if it's in someone in a position of power so um so it's it's funny you know when you see that happen to younger kids now because they are basically kids at the time yes um i think the solution really is because you are vulnerable no doubt about it you're vulnerable as an actor you're vulnerable when you're younger and you're new to the industry um, and you're vulnerable when you audition. The key to me is to is for the union uh, to step up and make it clear because a lot of that um, a lot of that shouldn't you shouldn't have to be alone with. No, absolutely. And I think if that there were a clear policy in place, I think that would become a lot harder to you know to get across at least in the workplace itself. Oh, absolutely. And even though uh, you said it, it wouldn't happen to you now when. You and I were talking about it personally. You got all riled up about oh, it. Totally. So, like, ten years later, you still feel oh, you, like it's upset not right. about it. I mean, the yeah. thing is, we're, you know, like theater can be a wonderful, loving place. It's a family more than, let's say, if you were working at Bank of America, and a corporate office. But if if harassment, you know, and happens on either in either business, it's still unacceptable. Right. Because you still have to show up to work and do your job. And it's when you, it became clear to me. Harassment, the reason that those rules are in place in the workplace is because it really does prevent you from doing your job effectively yep. when that happens. And that, to me, is when you know the line has been crossed. You know, it, it, or, you know, it's, we call it bullying in high school, harassment when you're an adult. Yes. You know, and um, it's a fine line, and it's, um, I don't know, it's, it's, I, it's it, I really hope the union can step up and have a clear policy, because I think if that people were held responsible more so at least that there's an awareness of behavior oh that would help and um i mean you know i'm older now that doesn't hit me as much because now you have now you harassed younger people well, no, 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 I'm, never, I'm joking you know, honestly that's the lesson to be learned is if you're ever put in a position of authority over people don't cross lines know what yeah. you know always remember what it's like absolutely we work with very attractive people and there's no doubt about it and you know wonderful people and um Look, if you're going to date someone in the workplace, you know, a lot of my relationships have happened out of meeting people in shows. Great. But you better be pretty certain that's what you both want. 
you know, because otherwise it can get really uncomfortable otherwise. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, know what you're doing. Be clear in your intentions, I yeah. guess. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I bet you have a, a lot of memories of uh, favorite things you did, recording cast albums. Is there one thing that pops into your head where you're like, that was... Uh, the day that I felt so proud that I, this is what I do. I mean, my Broadway debut, the first preview of Music Man. I was in the um, the train, the opening scene, Rock Island, and when that train, when the curtain, ro- you know, rose, and we were there on that train, I just remember beaming, and I could feel myself beaming, and my parents were in the audience, and I just couldn't not believe that that had happened. I just, I always wanted to be on Broadway, and when it happened, it just was like, is this for real? I, I did this. I could not believe it. I mean. It was an absolute dream come true, and I'm forever grateful to Susan Stroman for that. I mean, it was just by the books, and you know, and that's hey, dreams do come true, you know. It's and that's that keeps you going. Also, being on the Tony Awards was oh, nice. pretty damn incredible. Yes. I mean, when you're, you know, sitting on a bus at Radio City, and all of a sudden you're ushered into the theater, and Carol Burnett's there, and all of a sudden you know you're talking to her, and then you're on. You're on live TV and you're performing 76 trombones. It's pretty special. So, and that keeps you going. And, you know, I would do everything all over again to experience those kind of moments. Absolutely. It's just some. Um, and then, to, you know, I'll never forget, like I said, when I did a play a few years back, it was a play Ancestral Voices, and um, I loved it. It just was something, because I pushed myself. I didn't know if I could do that. I was leading this group of five actors, you know, and I, I was leading the, and, um, I had to dig deep, you know, I'm used to doing musicals. I know I'm an actor, but I found myself cast in this lead role and all of a sudden you're using these different muscles and I loved it. You know, it's when you push yourself as well and push your skills and try something new. That's really what's gratifying as well. And um, those have been the victories recently, I would say in the last few years. The big dreams seem to happen earlier. Those are the ones now that you're like, oh, okay. I didn't know I had that in me. I didn't know I could do that or, you know, or choreographing and watching a group of dancers do what you had in your head is really gratifying. It's like, wow, it happened. It, you know, um, so there's lots of victories along the way and just enjoy them all. And, you know, it's a wonderful, wonderful business. And it really is about your attitude each day, I think, how you approach it. You know, approach it with joy and passion and just love everything you do you know be good to yourself be gentle with yourself those were my lessons I had to learn towards me over the years don't beat yourself up when things don't work out you know forgive yourself for your mistakes you know and keep moving forward my only regrets and I you know there were times I had to take a step back and uh, stop for a second and I don't regret those because looking back I absolutely needed to you know whether you're feeling a little burned out or whatever but in hindsight my lessons for the future are when something doesn't happen well on your terms and you feel down just keep moving forward put one foot in front of the other go audition the next day don't get stuck in your head you know because it does work out absolutely well thank you very much Uh, I end each podcast with I play a song from uh, any if you could pick any song from any of the shows that you've uh, been in what is what has been your favorite one or most inspirational one and I totally forgot to warn you about that (laughs) (laughs) Oh, play 76 trombones, damn it. Absolutely, <laughs> that's it done. 76 trombones led the big parade With 110 cornets close at hand They were followed by rows and rows Of the finest virtuosos The cream of every famous band 76 trombones caught the morning sun With 110 cornets right behind 
There were more than a thousand breeds springing up like weeds. There were horns of every shape and kind. There were copper bottom timpani and horse platoons. Thundering, thundering all along the way. Double bell euphoniums and big bassoons. Each bassoon having his big fat say. There were 50 mounted cannon in the battery. Thundering, thundering louder than before. Clarinets of every size and trumpeters would improvise a full octave higher than the score. 